Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Anand Talker. Uh, Kamala, it's great to be here. I'm uh, excited. I know we've tried a couple of times, and so it's finally nice to be in a calm state of things, relatively speaking, in the midst of the chaos in the world, but uh, it's good to be here. I'm grateful to be here and uh, looking forward to our conversation today. I'm so glad to have you here. And one of the reasons why you're so busy is you're in the investor space. So let's talk ops and the importance of ops when investing. I'm so stoked to talk about this because I don't think people really understand how much of an impact that they can make. So let's talk a little bit more about your background and then we'll kind of dig into the specifics behind kind of reviewing businesses and determining viability. Sure, sure. So I've had a very eclectic background. I was a computer engineer turned marketer and the journey in between was energy, financial markets, and then eventually the marketing technology space. So I fell in love with the whole marketing tech space because of the, you know, the interest of being able to connect with so many different people. And I, you know, we see the impact both in positive and negative today, but it has been a fascination in understanding human behavior and how people, you know, connect and how they do this in the digital realm. And now we're taking this all into the next level. And that's probably a conversation for another day. But, but yeah, my road into investing, I mean, I was, I've been, you know, trading since I was 14 and then entered the financial markets world, uh, through the energy side and then into the main arena. But, um, a lot of it's been behind the scenes. I had a mentor who passed, uh, late, you know, he's been my longtime mentor and he's always been like, if you want to, you know, if you want to learn how to invest in something, then it's worth actually getting your hands dirty and going and doing it. And I knew I also had a lot of polish to, you know, work on. So I never really directly went into investing, you know, directly. I just happened to, you know, work my way in. Um, but one of the things I really was passionate about was this space, this marketing technology space. And I think it was the perfect time to bring in, you know, different disciplines to, to hold. And it turns out like a lot of those elements help us understand a lot about how companies grow, you know, how they connect with customers, what is perceived, you know, value versus, you know, what's actually being done with analysts. And also there's a lot of surprises that aren't so surprising if you look at a lot of things from a marketer's perspective, uh, like a modern marketer's perspective. So it's, uh, the journey's been interesting. I've had seven different ventures, uh, four, you know, were successful. They just happen to be very private because I just happen to know the people that were acquiring good partnerships. We'll come back to that in a little bit. I've been working with a lot of, uh, so my last exit was in 2018 and, uh, I've worked with Scott Brinker on the MarTech landscape, but mostly what I've been doing has been lately has been working with, uh, uh, venture capitalists, uh, private equity, even more recently, uh, as well as other types of investors on the back end, like LPs and whatnot, in terms of determining, you know, and help navigating how they should make make decisions to invest, but also not to invest in certain things as well. And I think hopefully we'll catch a little bit of that as well. So while I'm not a formal VC of any kind, I do work very closely with them as well as the companies who are acquiring other companies in that, uh, that capacity. And lately over the last, I would say six months, it's been a lot of mergers and acquisition type of conversations that we've been having, uh, especially with high valuations and whatnot. But I, I can't, I can't tell you, Kamala, uh, Kamala it's amazing how all this 
really does come back to if you're really good at ops and you're very good at, you know, not understanding the customer and how the brand, you know, interplays with the marketplace. Those are all core tenants for marketers and, you know, people who are general, you know, in the revenue, revenue ops arena. So, but, uh, but yeah, that's the, the shorter version of the long, crazy career that I've had. So now I'm in a nice, uh, semi sabbatical, enjoying time with family. I get called into scenarios and situations when they come up, which obviously, as you and I have figured out, they come up really randomly and come up kind of frequently or, you know, regularly. So I don't make too many of these, uh, opportunities to, to hop on. I'm looking forward to share what I can. Uh, I appreciate it. So let's kind of talk through the basics. When people are first evaluating a company and whether or not it's worth investing in, what are kind of the key early on startup, very small, we're talking maybe Series A space, what are the key areas that we're evaluating before deciding to pull the trigger on an investment? So lately, I, I'm my info, or I guess my recent experience has been mostly mid to late market. But I mean, I, it's a lot of the early stage. Who knows what early and mid means nowadays? Or Series A's <laughs> yeah. that are getting, you know, a uh, fifty million dollars. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a crazy <laughs> market. So uh, you know, how do you deal with that? Whether house hunting or investing in startups, they seem to be both equally as maddening and hyper paced as uh, as it would be. But uh, but uh, no, it's a good question. I, you know, one of the things that ends up, especially around Series A. Or pre-series A, you are looking at first of all, it's a, it's a little more art than science. Uh, so you're trying to understand, okay, how much potential does this company have in the marketplace that they're going into? By the time you get to Series A, or you're trying to raise for Series A, and congratulations, Caleb, remind for raising yours. But one of the things that ends up, uh, you know, that you're really looking for is the traction. And you're starting to understand particularly how well, I know this is not a metric, but how well are you recruiting talent and keeping it? It's almost as if that is almost on par with product market fit, which is usually product market fit is the you know, tantamount, you know, you know, arena metric or, you know, decision to be made about whether a company is worth investing in. So it's, uh, it's kind of crazy that that is happening certainly more recently. But if we were back in our normal state of things, it would lot a lot of it would be related to you know the traction that you're uh, that you're gaining as well as how well you know you're keeping the customers that you have because I think one of the things that ends up happening and this is something that we like or I like and I try to profess with ours is uh, there's the the whole you know the whole talk you know the the cliche not cliche but the the rule of thumb that you know I mean obviously it costs a lot more to you know gain a new customer than keep them and i think those who are mindful of trying to keep the right right customers right sometimes you've got challenges especially in the freemium market if you're keeping the right customers that's you know critically important and it's something that's very much overlooked yes there's a churn number on you know most people's you know most startups investor decks that they pitch but i like to double click into that and say all right well you know how are you keeping the uh, the right customers right and how, how are you doing that what does that look like and yes that's a moving target but it's you know relatively important as well but like i said i think recently it's almost like if you can just hire good people, which means you've got to have a great culture. That great culture translates in, you know, how much the people you respect the company and what they think about the company. So the sentiment of the company matters. You know, those are some 
non you know qualitative more qualitative than quantitative metrics that you're looking at because a lot of the metrics that you see the sales cycle you know ARR you know ARPU like or like the the three cost metrics that I like to use churn burn and yearn like I mean like those things are you know good in terms of uh, those are table stake you know uh, comp, you know metrics for you to make a decision but the reality is there's so much you have to really go into deeper to really understand that that said I to add this one note, I mean, investors lately have just been almost ignoring some of those metrics just because if you are successful and you're making some growth trends, we need to deploy capital. We've got a lot of money. If it's sitting in our bank or sitting in the bank, it's not really doing anything. You've got inflationary pressures. There's a lot of macroeconomic. I mean, I'm just, that's not, I sound like I'm smarter than I really am, but I mean, you got like all of these macroeconomic matters that are coming to play. And even from a basic financial standpoint, throwing money that is cheap right now at anything that is growing is the right thing to do. And so that's part of the reason why we're seeing such crazy valuations and the way that, and so I'm doing a lot more of don't invest in that company or, you know, here's the better opportunity to go for because they have some of these different metrics. It's not a matter of should you or shouldn't you, it's do this or don't do this one, right? That kind of a thing at this point. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. It reminds me of the housing market back in 2007 a little bit. Back in 2007. Oh, my gosh. I'm house hunting now. I can tell you. Like, <laughs> I feel like we're back. Yes. So. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's crazy out there. So lots of things popping into my head as you were speaking, one of which is I see operations being a later hire for a lot of companies, mm -hmm. but a lot of the metrics you're talking about can't be calculated without operations in place. <laughs> so maybe we want to start thinking about hiring folks a little bit earlier to get that infrastructure in place. So we have those proof points when we're talking to investors, just, <laughs> just a thought, <laughs> you know, I'm hearing things like churn. If your CRM is an absolute disaster, you're not tracking your sales appropriate you don't have everything integrated. It's just going to be so much harder. Have you seen that make a difference for companies, whether or not they have that infrastructure in place? You know, I think it's more, it, it certainly, you know, usually the investors are talking to the co-founders. They're really not talking to, you know, anyone, you know, beyond that point. Or if you are getting into later stages, you know, you're talking at board meetings or potentially, you know, you're bringing in other members. Being on top of your metrics and being able to understand what's beneath them is, you know, remarkably important. So your ops team or the person who's responsible for ops, which initially, you know, when you're like two or three people, it's usually the founders who are doing it all, you know, sure. and then you hire a salesperson and then you're thinking, oh my gosh, I hope she or he's like putting all that stuff in the CRM system. <laughs> so, you know, or at least, you know, I mean, but then you can't burden them on that too, because they've got to go hire a team and grow. Uh, then you've got marketing in the mix as well. But in a respectable size company, you know, this empowering and, you know, uh, keeping, you know, your team or your executive team informed with the latest and greatest numbers is, is incredibly valuable. And I think for ops as well to grow as an operations, you know, individual, it's to think more like a CEO or think more like a founder as you're thinking about these metrics. Who cares if there's this, you know, nuanced metric that sounds interesting to you from a data standpoint? I think what you have to kind of be able to think of it from a top-down perspective or maybe an investor's perspective or better yet, you know, from a customer growth perspective, right? 
And if you're doing well, <laughs> then the investors will come. But so you want to focus on the right people. But it's still, I mean, I think being able to make sure that your founders or your exec team can just roll these things off the tongue is uh, is fantastic. I've even seen an ops person train and get like do role playing, which they learn from being in sales to you know, to, to, with their exec team, like, oh, I'm going to question you on some things. You tell me if you can yep. remember some of these metrics and why these things happen. Uh, and it's not that they don't know, it's just, or aren't sure, but it's nice to be able to, the, the pace and the quick response time bodes a lot of confidence, particularly if you see your own gaps in your own data and then fill in the gaps as you're able to have this conversation. So it's really enabling those people. Yeah. And it's been interesting as somebody who was in ops and fairly removed and in larger companies versus actually participating in some of the investor calls and the research and due diligence that they were doing. And finally, connecting the dots and seeing, oh, that's why they ask for this. It's been interesting, though, from the perspective of I remember being asked for what we call vanity metrics or like follows on Twitter or things along those lines. Now that I've been through the process, I've realized, oh, they're trying to get an idea of total total addressable market and how many people are engaged with us. And we could have demonstrated that far more effectively if we did this, this, and this. So I think it behooves executive management to really kind of bring in their operations person into the fold a little bit and explain what they're looking for and collaborate on how to demonstrate that. Would you agree with that statement? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that if you have your ops person as part of the exec team, not, not just someone who's representing, but even you know having someone who's working directly with the numbers as opposed to sort of a degree of separation that person learns a lot. You know, they don't have to be in the board meetings. They don't have to be in the executive sessions. They don't have to be in those things. But I think bringing them in on occasional basis is very important because then your ops team or your ops lead or the members of your ops, it could almost be a reward. And there are some ops folks who are like, I don't want any of that. They're probably like, on and what are you doing? And like, I don't want to be in these meetings. <laughs> I like working with my stuff. Fair. And that's great. But if you want to be thought of as a valuable resource and being able to understand those right metrics like Kamala, your your example is fantastic, right? I mean, it's one of those things where if I had known what you were trying to convey and I see that interaction about how important that is, I'm going to take that to heart. And now I'm going to build or I'm going to curate metrics or understand, you know, create data uh, or prioritize. Because, I mean, you know, we always have a long like ops people always have a longer list of things to do than they ever you know, can accomplish no matter how much budget they have. So how do they prioritize which ones make sense? And that's what they need to do. I mean, I, you know, what, one of the things that ends up coming up a lot has been a lot about, you know, community building. Right? I think what you're doing now is a key component of that. And I don't think a lot of executives understand how powerful being able to show that element is. And I and, and, and they just have to unlock it with their ops team. And I think together, if they work together on building those, you know, how much content and how engaging is that? What does our partners play a role? The advocates that are going on or if your influencers is a key component of growth and the engagement that's I mean, those things are remarkable. I mean, I have a proprietary method of measuring, you know, community experience or the experience with communities, engagement with communities to understand like a company is not just the product and you know the people within it. It's an entire ecosystem. So really being able to understand that is a core decision-making pattern that a lot of the ops folks really should be bringing to the table. 
and exec teams bringing those people in as a result of that. So, And I think it's so interesting you're bringing up like influencers, community. That can be really hard to quantify and explain. I struggled with that a bit, I'll be honest, because we do rely quite a bit on B2B influencers, which is an extremely new concept. Brands used to be brands, not people generating content for the brand. And now the content person has become a much more influential uh, player in the market. Explaining that to an investor team, like what are some of the things, how would you go about doing that? Because I would like to learn. <laughs> Sometimes, well, I'll give you, I guess, a couple of hints. Because I mean, one of the things is you have to find the right investors who understand how to value that in the first place. Because if you're talking to investors that don't really value that, this isn't. This is going to be very nuanced to them, right? They're going to want to focus on the hard metrics and then, you know, evaluate the team in that capacity. But now we've got the nice thing is now we have companies, major tech companies, who are you know buying media, you know, organizations or buying communities, you know, to augment their sales capacity or their reach or their influence into the market. Because it's not only just about you know, just being able to have more people looking at the brand or the product. It's also how much influence does that collective make an impact into the marketplace, right? So if you have a narrative that you need to get out there, it's an opportunity to be able to have that dialogue, test it within this great ecosystem, and then be able to, you know, see if that really hits a chord, then, you know, you're able to be ahead of the game in terms of controlling the conversation, as they say in politics, right? Like you have to be able to control the narrative. And that's a very important piece. And so you have to have the right investors. But if you don't have the right investors, you know, one of the things is setting a benchmark for, you know, here's where we were in terms of how much engagement we, excuse me, that we have with the company or our content or with the people that we're working with. And here's where we are now and how much this and then start to attach deals that were influenced by that, either whether it was accelerated because of it, maybe it was, you know, one of the wonderful tactics nowadays is to bring your prospects on to, you know, uh, to generate content with you. Right. So, yeah. How do those things, you know, really play a role in that? And if there's a repeated pattern, it's a great way to be able to describe to investors that, hey, this is that don't understand this. This is why we're doing it. This is why we're investing in it. But for those that get it, they're going to be actually be asking for what's going on with this. Like, how come I don't, you know, we, we don't care about the vanity metrics per se. We want to understand how much of this is actually gaining, you know, new pipeline opportunity or potentially interest in it. Cause you'll see a lot of B2B companies don't even get a seat at the table. And I think that is a, that's a huge, this is the yearn part of my cost, right? So there's burn, churn, and then yearn, and that's made up thing that I made up. And, but the yearning is like, oh man, I wish I was at the table for that one. Cause we could have won. But if you couldn't get even get to the table because no one thought of you that way, right? This is the traditional branding, but in a modern, you know, day thing, that's usually because other people. And of course, you know, word of mouth is still the strongest means of referrals and, you know, most cost effective way, but it takes a long time to earn it. And communities and building content and education is a core piece of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you touched on a lot of things that I leverage. So Looking at overall interaction, I am so lucky to have the technology I have because I can look by URL and page at the audience that's interacting with my content to make sure that it's it's hitting with the audience I intended, which is super handy, but showing year over year growth and interactions. And then if you can work really closely with the sales team and as a small company, I don't see why not. 
they can help you a ton in understanding that word of mouth factor. Oh, yeah. So if you train and work with them to ask where they heard about you, you can start attributing and, and putting in campaign members and all of those great little tactics <laughs> that we need for attribution in order to display. So I work with B2B influencers and for these five influencers, for each one of them, they brought us six deals within a six month period. And then you can explain how that trickles out. So yeah, absolutely. Yes. I, I think there, I mean, one of the early things I think before the call I was kind of mentioning about 15 years ago is trying to like, I mean, somebody said I was a pioneer in B2B. I don't, I, I'd like to think that's this case, but it was probably me just sort of like trying to figure out stuff. And I just happened to be lucky that some of the tactics that really are being used like today or maybe five years ago were something I was working on early. And don't sell yourself short. Well, it's called we, early adopter. Early adopter. <laughs> that was like, I just wanted to do something fun and the same team. And then it was just a problem to solve. Right. But when we used to sell energy software, uh, software to energy companies. So you can imagine how long those sales cycles are complex. I mean, there's nothing less than quarter million. And that was 15 years ago. And there's a niche market for this, right? So how do you, I needed to find out when I joined marketing, how do we, how do we learn more about this? And the thing that came out, you were talking about the tools, even the basic elements of tools of looking at who was, you know, checking out our page with like a specific page at a certain time, I could go and ran to my sales team and said, please don't be spooky or creepy about this. But you know, so-and-so was looking at this particular page, they might be interested in these services. Now I happen to, and this is an important ops, I think suggestion is I learned the pipeline, even as a, someone who's just purely marketer working on the website, I learned the pipeline and understand what was important, where were key play, you know, players in that, you know, what was, you know, why, you know, certain things reached a certain you know, percentage uh, completion or, you know, stage. So I think understanding other elements, as you said, like gaining some empathy with sales is remarkably important. And that's an example where I would not have not thought about, well, let me just go and give this data to them because it's going to be very valuable for them to get ahead of sitting at the table and talking to these folks. Because in the enterprise market, it, there's a saying that the best way to win a deal is to write the RFP <laughs> or help write the RFP. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to be able to be one of the first ones to do that. Now, fast forward, you know, a decade later, more than a decade later, we have faster tools, better tools, and we're operating at a faster pace. But still, the fundamentals still remain that being able to enable your sales team to intelligently prioritize their pipeline or double down where they should or back off is really important. And I don't think that ops gets enough credit for a lot of that because they don't tell the story well enough. And also they're always seen as like the IT end and that's got to stop. Right. And it, you can't be doing that, but to help for ops to help themselves, they really have to inject themselves sometimes forcibly into other people's departments so they can understand what's going on and have a little degree. You don't, you can even try things, right? Go cold call, go, you know, try to build like a piece of the product. You might fail you might suck at it, but the important thing is that you've done it. And at least you have some idea what's going on about what's important to them about why they're doing what they're doing. So it's uh, ops is a phenomenal like area to understand the business that, the C like a CEO level of business, but just underneath that, like you see all the stuff on the surface. You probably know more things about the company than your CEO does or your founder does before they do. And I think if you think of it from that perspective with the narrative of coming down and looking at it from an investor or CEO or founder perspective, it's incredibly important. It, it can be incredibly valuable. 
I love all of those points and I'm having flashbacks because I always felt like chicken little. <laughs> I'm like a bad quarter's coming, you guys. Um, yeah. No, but seriously, if participating in the investor piece and those kinds of conversations is way beyond where you want to go, start with researching the pipeline you already have, building a profile, really working and figuring out who's interacting with your content, who's bringing you into the account, and who's the actual influencer, because it's not always the person who gets you in the door. <laughs> right. And then design, like educate the rest of your marketing team so they can design campaigns and content accordingly. That's huge. That's, that's right. That's a huge ad. Absolutely. And and you shouldn't limit yourself. I mean, we've been talking about marketing, but, you know, ops plays a, a very cross-functional role. And, you know, I mean, it it is the silo breaker, right? If everyone talks about breaking down silos, it starts with the ops team or the people who are in ops, whether it's, you know, whether it's the revenue side or whether it's the product side or whether it's the, you know, retention side, whether it's even like the capability side, like the service, all those components are very, very valuable. And I think sometimes I know a, a, an ops person, she actually, she's a rock star. So she actually goes every quarter and spends like an extra amount of time with that group and just kind of circulate, like circulates back and forth on that. Now she, I mean, obviously she builds and, you know, uh, constructs and navigates, uh, you know, for a lot of all the different groups as they need. But one of the things she's always picking out, which I think is most impressive. And I mean, she's, you know, she's, she's way ahead of her time in terms of doing this is why it's impressive is she's like, listen, I got to find out what questions they're asking and if they're even the right questions to ask, because ultimately ops is trying to enable faster and smarter decision-making. That's really the fundamentals of what ops is doing. And that is the core of a strong business, you know, engine is being able to make fast and confident decisions. And then if you have a nimble enough company, they'll navigate some things that might be amiss, but the reality is, is that you're helping them make more calculated you know, choices that than what they might be getting elsewhere. So for those people in ops, what advice would you give them to maybe convince their executive leader to bring them into the fold a little bit more? You know, I, I think w one of the things would be is you probably get a lot of feedback from various meetings, uh, like executive meetings, or maybe there's board meetings. If you're not familiar with the terminology, I mean, there's a lot of ops people who are very good with numbers, but when it comes to financial matters, that may not be something that you're very readily aware. Take some, if you can, uh, take some time to find an executive sponsor in a sense, or a mentor, and work with them in terms of understanding what those metrics may. Now, they don't have to be the CFO, it could be anybody. Hopefully at a startup, you can you know, you can find a number of people who would be able to enable that. Now, if you're if you're lucky to do if you can do that, that's a great way of both demonstrating that you want to see the business beyond your own role, but also you it helps you you know enable your own business. If you can't find that, then go read everything about you, you know, everything you can about if you're in a high growth startup, then how that's financed. If you're at a public company, what are what makes share you know share price move right share prices move. Right. Those are the kind of metrics that you want to be, you know, learning and understanding because you'll understand you can tie the you tie the uh, you make the connection between those internal metrics to external factors or external, you know, perception uh, uh, metrics that help you, you know, help evaluate the company in some way. So learning the financial aspect of the company is one of the core tenets of what you're going to be doing, but you never really are connected to it. So making sure you can force you know, make that connection or force function that way 
is is really valuable. You don't have to be right about all of it. You don't have to go get a degree. It, you know, there are a lot of certificates. There's a lot of ways to be able to educate yourself from lots of ongoing learning opportunities. You know, it's fantastic how much uh, access we have to various things. And then just start delivering you know, your thoughts on things. Uh, and find someone to listen, uh, whether you're right or wrong, just to give you feedback about how those things are. That's the way to demonstrate that you're thinking more like a CEO than you are thinking like an IT person. And that elevates your, you know, your career path. And nothing wrong with the IT folks or being considered in that capacity. But, you know, I, I talk to a lot of ops folks and people who, you know, call me up and like, listen, I, I really don't like my job. And it's like, well, you know, how much are you trying to tell people that, you know, or demonstrate that you are, you know, wanting to be more and many of them do, <laughs> they just aren't heard. And so sometimes it takes a bit of persistence. This is probably part of the reason why a lot of ops people are getting paid, you know, 20, 30, 40% more at a different role because those companies value those types of people. And, uh, but anyway, yeah, trying to understand like the financial aspect as well as yeah, the narrative, the executive narrative is, is, is incredibly valuable to incorporate that into your storytelling. Uh, cause we don't want ops, like I want to see ops people tell the story about what's going on about the company, not just sharing the data. Because sharing the data is great, but unless you know how to, sh you know, na how you uh, can build a story around it, build a narrative around it, you'll never be seen as more than a data junkie, right? So, and we don't want, and there's more to it than that with a lot of ops folks. 100%. If I always say, if you wait until the end of the quarter to figure out what your numbers are, <laughs> you've waited too long. Right. You should be able to stay on top of them throughout the quarter. And that enables you to tell a more holistic story about what's happening as opposed oh, to yeah. a totally reactive one. Another thing Absolutely. I'd like to say just really quickly that we repeat over mm -hmm. and over on the show is figure out what your key KPIs are, tie every Everything you're doing to that and measure your results. So if you want mm -hmm. a seat at the table, Absolutely. prove that you're impacting <laughs> revenue and pipeline or bookings, I should say. Absolutely. And I, you know, this is another component that brings up another thing too, is that ops's role is also to entrust, like make sure there's trust in the data. I yes. mean, I know that's oversaid, but I think a lot of people underestimate, again, this is the underestimation of what ops can do for the entire organization is, you know, not necessarily just bring numbers to the table, but make sure that everybody's on the same page about them, you know, helping people understand where that data is coming from and how it's being, you know, aggregated or how it's being compiled. I will say something relatively controversial is that not everybody has to have access to all the data because <laughs> everybody will, that's like, um, people going on to WebMD and trying to diagnose themselves. Oh yeah. That's so <laughs> um, it's a real problem. And, uh, so again, it goes back to, you know, if you want to give someone access to something, you know, make sure that they have, you have what they're trying to look for, what kind of questions they're at, wanting to ask to help them make the decisions with their role or the role that they need to report for, and then limit the, you know, access to the data to that. Because if you give them widespread access, it becomes one overwhelming Two, there's a lot of components and connectivity of data that have gaps, right? They all, there's parts that aren't clean. There's parts that are always gaps. So there's always, I mean, it's a leaving, living, breathing organism, right? Data in an organization. So the only person who could really, you know, to use the doctor metaphor, right? Be able to understand the symptoms and diagnose and be able to under, you know, navigate like how you should take the next steps with your data is you. So it's a, it's a power. It's a very powerful responsibility. But yeah, bringing that trust, the data is, is remarkably important. And I know how tricky that is. Don't get me wrong. It's easier to be said than done. 
it can take a couple of years before you could get to that point, right? And that's not exactly what a lot of ops people want to hear, or a lot of executives want to hear, but you know, building that trust and people saying, we are, you know, working off these numbers and you know, we're gonna make bets based on these numbers, right? Investment choices, not in terms of the company, but also technology choices, you know, where we should take the next segment, customer segment, where we should hit go head to head with a competitor, how we should change our pricing. You know, I think this is one thing that hasn't really been talked about is Pricing will make and break companies nowadays. Oh, yeah. And I know a lot of people will, you know, pick the usual good, better, best kind of tiers and they kind of say, okay, well, our competitors that you're losing, you're, you could be putting a lot of money on the table. Uh, you know, you're losing a lot of money off the table as a result of that. And I totally got that cliche wrong. So sorry about that. But anyway, I, everybody understands what that means. But I mean, it's leaving a lot of money on the table, but, but a lot of the pricing strategies are going to be very, um, interesting to play a significant role and where ops plays a significant role in that because again they have the cross you know cross organizational uh, access to all that information and as more you know as ops grows in terms of its importance it's also pushing pushing more and more into deeper parts of the organization whether it initially thought it was just sales and marketing or not right so i think it's it's a very powerful thing and doing that and my last piece in this is de-risking the company, even as a startup or as a public company or near public company is a very powerful thing too. That's something you won't hear from a lot of people is how ops can de-risk a company or at least bring insights to an executive team to understand where the risks are. Customer risks, capability risks, product risks, market risks, uh, competitive risks, like those risks are just as important as just the constant growth. Right. And so, yeah, that's, that's, a lot of components there that I wanted to share, but it's a lot of things that, you know, ops people have are empowered to be able to bring to the table that they really don't talk about too much. And we're going to start to see a lot of that as ops grows. And so having a connectivity to a lot of that data, regardless whether you're centered around sales or marketing or not, is incredibly important. Trust is everything. Man, yeah. <laughs> uh, so much to unpack there. I wish we had another hour. Sadly, we do not. Anon, thank you so much. Where can people find you online to network? Uh, just on LinkedIn uh, or on Twitter. You know, it's just my name, so I'm pretty easy to find. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I have my own website too, but honestly, it's just a roll of stuff that, uh, you know, it's just a collection of stuff. So uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm actually going to be starting to talk a lot more about the journey, you know, behind the scenes on, um, you know, investing, but also the marketing tech space and kind of thinking of it from a business and leadership uh, or a talent and leadership and a uh, investment perspective. So it's fascinating because I think uh, this, I, I always say this, like the study of MarTech is the study of ourselves. And if we can, un, you know, and if there's some, you know, if there is a something to be said about like how you really can rule the world or take over the, you know, take over a market or create a new category is really understanding yourself. So we are being given, given a gift to understand, you know, with all these tools and access to information. So we should start taking advantage of that. Yeah, that's so exciting. Psychology plays such a huge role in all of this. I love it. So those of you listening, if you enjoy the podcast, please like, follow, subscribe, tell two friends. It really does make a difference. And for those of you looking for more content like this, check out calibermind.com. 